It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Todd Stottermeyer. Todd, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. I love it, boss. I love it. Let's do this, man. <laughs> Just for the people at home that are only listening to this, we both raised baseball bats, and this was not planned either. This was not planned. And I think it shows a really great kindred spirit between the love of cricket that I have and the love for baseball that you have all the way over in what I can only assume you're in Canada. Yeah. So I got a chance to play in Canada. It was pretty phenomenal. And and I got to tell you, Laban, the, the funny thing is, is I was like, I was going to surprise you with my bat and then you were going to surprise me with it. And it was like, just, I mean, it's just hilarious, but uh, you know, we had some great conversations offline and that really led to this podcast. I got to tell you, I'm so humbled and honored and I love your story. I love your heart. I love what you're doing. I love how you're taking something you had to overcome from your past and, and uh, you know, really making it the message for your future. So I applaud you, sir. It's an honor for me to be here. So um, I would tell you that I'm humble. So, well, Todd, I must say, mate, thank you so much. Um, and you know, I, I really feel like it's it's a huge honor for mine as well. You know, Brian Heathman, the wonderful Brian Heathman, who was a guest yeah. on the show, made the introduction uh, through the work that you and him have done together in publishing uh, not one but two books. One that came out officially on the 25th of January, 2020, The Observer, no. which we can talk about, which we will talk about in a little bit of detail. But for no. people that don't know who Todd Stottlemyre is, I'll just give you a little bit of a synopsis because this is a pretty amazing pretty amazing story. So Todd's our very first Major League Baseballer on the podcast, hopefully not our last. Uh, you are a high-performance uh, business coach, keynote speaker, business owner, investor, uh, you're on the board of uh, of many companies. Uh, you, you know you're involved with uh, the multi level marketing business side of things as well. You've got five daughters. So I have four daughters and one son. Sorry, four daughters and one. I couldn't find the fifth name because you got yeah. Molly, Ava, Brooklyn, Rachel. Yeah. yeah. And what's so the- it goes? Rachel is the oldest, and then Madison, and then Ava, and then my son is TJ. And then my youngest daughter is Brooklyn. TJ, there you go. And your beautiful wife, Erica? Erica, correct, yes. And you got a pretty cool story, Todd, i got to admit. And, and I wanted to start off with something a little bit unusual, and I hope you don't mind me playing this, but I want to explore this. I'm just going to play the audio for our audience 
at home. And just I haven't prepared Todd for this, so just bear with me. Are you able to explain to our audience <laughs> what's going on there? What was there? 1995. And, uh, you know, I'd gone through some some serious mental uh, mindset work, controlling your emotions um, year or two in advance of that outburst, <laughs> oddly enough. Um, and I was a pitcher with the Oakland A's. And, you know, it was so funny because it was my first year with the A's and, and here I was this emotional pitcher and yet day in, you know, every time I pitched, it was just very kind of like normal, no big emotions, no outbursts. And, and I think that, you know, they were kind of like, what's going on with this guy? You know, we've watched him from afar and he was always very emotional and he seemed so like poised and in control. Well, I've done a lot of work up to that point, but this particular game was right at the mid-season mark. It was the day, the last game before the All-Star break. So, to, and we had just lost three straight. We were in second place, and and we had just lost three straight to the Brewers. And now I'm pitching the, the final game of the first half against the Brewers. And we happened to be winning two to one um, in the bottom of the eighth inning with two outs, and I throw, I throw a, uh, <laughs> I throw a, um, a, a two-two slider. Um, I throw a two-two slider to a guy, and he kind of checks swings, and the home plate umpire calls him out for the third out. We're wa- I'm walking off the mound. There was a runner on second base, so the inning's over. Walking off the mound. And the, the, the Brewers dugout is yelling, check him, check him. So then the home plate umpire asked the guy at first base, and he says, no swing. And then all of a sudden, it's like, here we go. So I come, come back out on the field, and, and then I throw a 3-2 fastball, and the guy hits a double in the gap. So now the score is 2-2. Next guy up is B.J. Suroff. I throw him a pitch. He hits a double in the gap. Um, so now they go ahead three, two, I get the last guy out. I then pitch the ninth inning and get it out. So it was kind of like we'd lost, there was a lot of frustration. We'd lost four straight. We were in second place. We we're going into the all-star break. And then, you know, things in the eighth inning didn't work out our way, the calls we wanted and this and that from the umpires. And then it turned into a loss. So the first, the reporter that asked me to quit, it was like the game just gotten over. So there's reporters everywhere. Mike's everywhere in front of me. And the guy says, Todd, he says, do you think that you potentially lost your emotions and that cost the A's a game? <laughs> and I looked up at him. I was sitting in my chair. I had ice all over my arm. I looked up at him and I'm like, I'm not answering that. Next question. Next guy asked another question. That same exact guy goes, Todd, he says, did you lose your emotions on that on that call that the uh, that the umpire made and did that cause you to lose the game so it was the second time he'd come at me and then I was like you want to see me lose my emotions and then I just lost it and uh you know it was crazy because um you know when you lose it on the media and we were in Oakland so it was our home team and our home media and all that but when you lose it that way um one or two things are going to happen they're going to either say wow this guy really cares and (laughs) They're going to respect it or I'm going to just get annihilated in the media. Right. 
and I don't know which way it's going to go. And, uh, and I'm, but I'm prepared for either way it goes. I'm prepared because uh, I was passionate about that play, uh, losing four straight, the whole thing. And it just turns out that the next day they all over the talk shows, all over the newspapers in the Bay area, they were like, Oh, the Oakland A's have found their leader, their emotional leader, their spiritual leader, you know? And it was like, I'm like, Oh, thank God. Right. Because if it goes the other way, then it just, it seems like it continues. But, uh, so I, I was lucky that it, that it all worked out, but, uh, I can't believe you came up with that. Where did you find that, man? You know, what's funny about that. You know, I'll tell you what's funny about that clip after that all season long, it didn't matter coast to coast. So like up in Seattle, they would say, Hey, it's raining again in Seattle. I wonder what Todd Stottlemyre thinks of that. And then they would press play and it's <laughs> going crazy. Right. So, and it was just hilarious because a lot of the news radio talk show, they were having a blast with it. And I was like, well, there you go. Um, so cool stuff, man. Well, I'll happily send you the link. Someone's uh, been able to, to convert it from uh, an old audio onto YouTube. And, and, but the thing that struck me about listening to that Todd and, and having done uh, a bunch of reading and, and, you know, I'd like to know, uh, information about people in general not not just because they're on the pocket I've always been a curious soul and and what struck me after our initial conversation the research I was doing is the the childhood that you had because I I talk a lot on this podcast about my own experience as a child of divorce but your yours from all accounts your father was a wonderful major league baseball your brother is as well and you had loving parents but you had a major trauma happen when you were 15 that I'd, I'd love for you to share with our audience if you can that I when I heard that rant I I heard the pain of a 15 year old boy come through that and I'm just curious to know whether you what your thoughts on that are yeah for sure so um so I'm 15 at the time my little brother Jason is 11 and he was on his third bout of having um, leukemia, um, um, blood cancer. And and uh, the doctors came to our family and they said, you know, his only real chance for a, for a long life would be to get a bone marrow transplant. And and so all the, the entire family, we all tested our blood and they the doctors did all of this. And, and I happened to be the perfect match. So uh, I was the chosen one to give him a bone marrow transplant. So um, did that, of course. And, um, and then eventually what happened was as my marrow entered in his body, um, the first reaction was everything seemed to be going well. Um, but then he took a detour and literally he was two days from being released from the hospital and he took a massive detour and went into a coma and then, um, and then eventually, you know, his life was taken. So, um, that marrow, my bone marrow actually, uh, his body had rejected it, put him into a coma, and then eventually we lost him. And and I'll I got to tell you, you know, it was crippling. And as a family, and for my mother and father, I think you know, um, I can't imagine you know having to bury your eleven year old son. But you know, there's listeners today, and this is so important. And I appreciate you asking this question because someone went through, or some parent went through a similar situation, or maybe you know a brother of a brother went through a similar situation. And, and, but, you know, we were terribly sad and it was tragic and it was heartbreaking and all those things that you can imagine, but
But there were two other emotions I left that hospital with. Number one, hate. I was, I like literally hated the world. And because, you know, I'm 15, he's 11, and now he's gone. And, and I had a, and then the other emotion, it was like the guilt was overwhelming and had just taken over my body. And I was like, it was my marrow that put my little brother into a coma. And it didn't matter what anyone said. When you're 15 and you know your marrow uh, and his body didn't accept and go into a coma, anybody can tell you that anything they can say, hey, Todd, it's not your fault. They can say whatever you want, but I took all of that on. And, and because I took it on, what really happened was, um, you know, it got to be a thing that every time, because I wasn't in control of that situation. So moving forward, when I, when I wasn't in control of something, so you think about that outburst and I wasn't in control of the umpire saying, no, no swing, you know, and, and what would happen is, is when I wasn't in control of something and things didn't go my way, the hate and guilt that I has buried and really truly rewired myself um, to believe because I played it over and over and over in my head. And as I'm buying this, then it becomes who I am when the chips are down. So what would happen is, is in the heat of a moment and this guilt and this hate could come out of you and truly, I call it ruining and destroying the mastery of the present moment. And I, I say to many folks, I said, listen, I lived in a prison that I built. I built the prison. It was my own prison. It was a prison of unforgiveness. It was a prison of hate. It was a prison of guilt. And it was controlling me. And it really wasn't until 1993, you know, after we just won our second World Series. And you think, man, it's like you look at me from the outside and it's like, geez, this guy's lived out his childhood dream. He's making millions of dollars. He's now a two-time world champion. Like he's got everything, you know? And what, but what people didn't understand was when I looked in the mirror, I could not stand the person looking back at me because I was on the inside of me. On the outside, I looked great. On the inside of me was, was hate, was guilt, was anger, was unforgiveness. I was living, man, I was dark. And, and, um, and, but I also realized I, I didn't, I didn't like that outburst. I didn't like my response to stimulus. And I was like, and I ended up, I kept ending up in the same place, anger, guilt, all flowing out of me, eruptions, blackouts, all these things. And I was like, I'm tired of it, man. I'm, I'm tired of being that person. And so I was at a place where I'm like, I, I want help. I need help, but I want it because I want to change because I don't like these outcomes. And I reached out to this guy. His name is Harvey Dorfman. He was the guru and mindset of baseball. He wrote the mental game of baseball. And I, and I called him. I said, Harvey, I said, uh, this is Todd Stottlemyre. And he said, I've been waiting on your call. I was like, Dude, I didn't even know you knew who I was, you know, whatever. And I said, man, I said, I said, Harvey, I'm struggling. He goes, I know. And we booked a meeting. And that meeting was supposed to last a couple hours. And that meeting went 12 hours in a hotel room. And in the first hour, he asked me this question. He said, 
Todd, he says, would you, would you do it all over again? I said, Harvey, would I do what all over again? He said, would you give a bone marrow transplant to your little brother all over again? And I was like, man, I do it every minute. Uh, I, I do it every second of every minute, every minute of every hour, every hour of every day. I do it over and over. And he said to me, he said, Todd, didn't you already do that? And I said, yes. He said, Todd, he says, can I ask you a question? He says, did you do everything you could possibly do? And I said, yes. He said, Todd, he says, you didn't kill your little brother. He said, you're not God. It is out of your control. He says, you did everything you could humanly possible is possible for you to do. And I said, yeah. And I just broke down, man. I bawled like a baby. And it's emotional to even think about that moment right now for me because like how it just broke me. And he said to me, let it go. And for the first time since that event, no one had really given me permission to release it, to understand that I did everything. It was almost like this, this whole new, and I, I tell you, I just broke. And then, and then in the last hour of our meeting, he said to me, I want you to do something. I want you to go on a seven day. He said, will you do a seven day challenge? I said, of course, seven day challenge. I said, I, I got that hard. No big deal. I said, what's the challenge? He says, you're not allowed to react or respond to any thought you have or any emotion you have over seven days. So if something starts to aggravate you, frustrate you, he says, all I want you to do is observe your thought and observe your emotions and you're not allowed to react. You can only document how you're thinking and how you're feeling. And in seven days, what we're going to do is we're going to build a tool chest, a toolbox. And in that toolbox, it's going to be a way for you to overcome frustration, anger, all this hate, and be able to stay in peak performance, not only as an athlete, but as a human being. And I got to tell you, I was, I was so excited. And that was 1993, in the winter of 93. And Laban, that was the making of this book, The Observer, of trying to get people to understand that step away from themselves and ask themselves this question and, I, and become clear and have clarity and awareness. What are you thinking? What are your thoughts? And, and because thoughts will drive emotions and then emotions will drive thoughts. If you wake up and you don't feel good, pretty soon your mind is telling you you don't feel good, right? And, and it's like, so they kind of go hand in glove and I was at war. <laughs> I was at war with this hate, this guilt, this unforgiveness, this, this, this crazy way of thinking and feeling and anger. And, and, uh, and here's what I'd tell people today. And, and, and it's the reason I wrote the book, The Observer, was so people can understand that, hey, look, from the outside, it looked like I had it all. But on the inside, I had nothing because I was lacking love, joy. Happy. I was lacking happiness. Man, I was dark, dude. And being dark. It, it doesn't matter what you have in the outer world. When you're dark on the inside, you have nothing, man. You're trapped. And I wanted people, this book is my message to saying, hey, if you feel that way, 
If you, if you haven't, maybe you're hanging on to some unforgiveness. Maybe you're hanging on to some guilt. Maybe you're hanging on to a childhood. Maybe you're still playing victim to how you grew up. Maybe this, maybe that. I, what I'm saying is, listen, I've been there and there's a way out and there's a way to a better life. So I know that's a mouthful, but it's like, it's really become my life mission to, to continue to coach myself on a daily basis because it's easy to get trapped and fall prey to, to a certain situation. I look at the world, man, and we talked about this. If you look at the world in 2020 and, 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 uh, and you look at COVID-19, you look at the race wars we've been having here in the United States, if you look at politics, and you look at people's response to just those three things. It's like, look at the hate that people are messaging around the world on social media. And that hate isn't COVID. It's not politics. It's not, I don't even believe it's race. But, I'll, but, but here's what I, I think it's something coming from within that you're reacting and, and, and it's given you an excuse to act a certain way on the outside. And it's not, by the way, that's not okay. You know, and I wasn't okay with me with how I responded. So that's a mouthful. Well, <clears throat> Todd, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, thank you for sharing that. It's uh, it beggars belief, really. And I, I have a thought just based on what you were saying there, um, something that I've that I've spoken about publicly as well. And I and I've run this past some of the other guests that I've had that are experts in um, in the medical side of nutrition and that kind of thing, treating ketogenic diets. And a quick scroll through of the people that you follow on Instagram. Uh, there's some uh, lots of similarities. I know you're a fan of Jason Fung and a bunch of other people, right? But I, I fundamentally believe that um, as the as the Western world in particular is getting fatter and sicker, yeah. which is all pretty much the direct direct relation to improper diet and the way things evolved over the last hundred or so years, is that people are becoming more and more uh, deeply unhappy. And the only reason I say that, Todd, was because that was me. Yeah. And it's only when I've been able to switch that around and focus on proper nutrition, which allows me to be better at the other areas of my life, mindset, discipline, you know, goal setting, education. And it's a really important point that you bring up. And I, I suppose my next question to you is that that, ama- that amazing emotional release that you had, I'm guessing that wasn't the only one that you had from that point on, I'm guessing you've had a bunch since. Yeah. So like I say, two steps forward, one step back. Right. And what I don't want people to think is like a one day meeting with my guy and I was cured. (laughs) Look, um, between from the event, the tragic event in 1981, it was 12 years later. So for 12 years, I had been wiring my mind and my heart with that event and the guilt and hate from it. You're not going to unwind 12 years of going through this in one day. 
and it's going to take time. But here's the beauty. Here's what here's what I love is that we created this tool chest and these tools and these principles and these models that that when it did happen, it didn't have to live with me for a week or a month. And you would, you know, it's like when something happens and you're disappointed, it's like you carry that baggage, right? I was learning to let go. And I was understanding it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail. It's okay to not be in control. It's okay in the tools. Then if I got emotional and it happened, I, I could go back to peak performance a very short time later and the reason why is because we created these tools and I was and I, and I would I would identify and I would create awareness and clarity like this isn't the place I want to be. I need to get out of this place. And and uh, one of the tools is the 180 degree mindset. And it's kind of like what's the 180 degree mindset? It's like it, it's taking a negative thought and replacing it 180 degrees from that negative place to a positive place. You know, it's kind of like Hey man, I feel like crap or, or man, I'm having a crappy day. And it's like, Hey man, I'm instead of having, I'm having a crappy day. How about, Hey, this is a great day because of all my setbacks and all my uh, fallen today that I've been able to learn so much and it's going to be so valuable that I'm going to actually be better tomorrow. That's a different perspective and it's 180 degree different perspective. So we came up with 180 degree mindset now, but you can, uh, you can, you can do that with everything. It's like, Man, I don't feel well. No, no, time out, Todd. Stop that thinking. Stop that feeling. It's like, man, I feel great. Listen, you can start talking yourself into a different peak performance. You said something so valuable, man, and I can't let it go. So I want to go back to it. You talked about your health, nutrition, fitness, these things, and 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 people getting sick and overweight and 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 getting disease. I always tell people, I said, listen, if you don't take time to be healthy. You're going to have to take time to be sick. (laughs) It's like, it's no fun. It's no fun getting disease. And, you know, there's a lot of science out. And I don't want you to take my word for it, but there's a lot of science out there. And and everyone can do their own research that a 30-minute walk, an intentional walk every day, will fight off 50% of fatality-type diseases that will could possibly attack your body. Aren't you worth 30 minutes a day of some exercise? Of course we are. But like Jim Rohn once said, what is simple to do is simple not to do. It takes discipline. It talks just what you said. It takes discipline, man. It takes commitment. It also it also takes somebody saying, I want to change. I want to be healthy. I want to be fit. And because you give it something, what I call, you give it enough meaning, you know? And when you start stacking enough meaning, you can create change, you know? So anyways. Man, it's a really wonderful point. And, and you know, one of the things that uh, I think uh, may have been able to help uh, your own situation was, you know, your elite level uh, of fitness, um, because if you if you'd gone through what you'd gone through and been unhealthy as well, there's a probably a high probability that you wouldn't be here today. Probably from removing yourself from the gene pool. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts on that are. I don't know whether you thought about suicide at any point um, after that whole experience with your brother. You know, um, I didn't. And, and, um, but, but I, I didn't get to the point where, you know, my life wasn't worth it. I didn't actually think about my life. I didn't actually think about, um, man, I'm living and he's gone out. I, I was more focused on, on playing victim to a circumstance I couldn't control and being so hateful that he was gone. Like I was so, like I was so hateful that it controlled literally was, I mean, it controlled me. It was so controlling. And, and, um, who were you most angry at? You know, I, 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 I remember, man, and, and, uh, I hated God at the moment. And, 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 you know, today, you know, we're, we're spiritual people and, and we live a Christian life. And, 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 uh, <laughs> so he, I guess I, I'm okay. I feel like it's okay for me to say this, but I hated, and I'm, and, and my thought was, man, God is like, how could you do this? How do you allow this to happen? Right. And I started to blame and I started to like, and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that I didn't, that I didn't take a different road. I didn't take a road to drugs and alcohol that I didn't take a road to suicide. I'm lucky, you know, because the unlucky ones go down those different roads and, and then it becomes a whole not, look, I could have compounded the problem. Right. And so, and, and I also got to a point where I had enough awareness around that. It wasn't right. What I was doing, it wasn't right. The way I was responding. And I think there was, I wanted, I wanted to get better so bad. You know, I, I hated that I did it. I hated that I had these feelings. Um, and, and, and as much as I hated having them, I couldn't do it by myself. You know, I needed, I needed people that could understand what I was going through. I needed people to help me and give me and provide with me ways out, you know, things to think about. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's crazy today. But when I when I start to feel myself get revved up, I'm like, and it's really a form of meditation. Sometimes I'll go to my office, close the door, close my eyes, just get centered with myself and start focusing on my breathing so I can get away from the crap that's going on in my head. And it's almost like rejuvenate myself. And then when it's like, and I get to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm, you get kind of like totally relaxed and you get centered and it's like, not, and then I always ask myself this question is, what can I do now? What can I do? Not what, not what can I control, but what can I do? And I start focusing on something positive that I can do. You know, look, I'm, I'm a person who loves to achieve. I love to achieve. I'm almost a competitor, man. And I've been competing my whole life. So for me, my biggest, my, I guess my, my biggest competition today really is me. You know, it's like I'm competing against my old me every day. And when my old me shows up, man, it's like warning signs go off. And it's and it's like and it could be, you know, it could be meditating. It could be it could be getting centered. It could be taking a long walk. It could be taking a run. It could be 
you know, listening to something positive. And it's like, you know, to get away from those demons, you know. So uh, look, it's a battle. I mean, do you know, sometimes and 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 what's great is the more you go through it, the more awareness and clarity you have of it. So the warning signs start going off and you start to understand those warning signs. It's kind of like, you know, man, I start to, you know, you start to feel like, oh, I don't, I don't like this feeling. And it's like, man, I got to get away from this information. Maybe I got to remove myself from a scene. Maybe I got to go put myself in a positive environment. That's the beauty. That's the beauty. And that's, that's what I try to explain in the book is like, it's possible because I did it. It's possible because you did it. And, and we're here together, brother, in different countries uh, across oceans that because I almost feel like our spirits in some way, in some form, and our energies have connected that says there's a way out, man. And it's like, you know, uh, doesn't mean everything's going to be great because it's not. And I always tell people, get over it. But when it's not great, what's beautiful is you can learn something from it. And because of that, you can get better. Well, the book is really surprised me because when I, I downloaded it on Audible and started listening to it, and I was like, hang on a second. This is a woman's voice, and the main character is a, is a woman. And I was like, what's going on here? And it's been written as like a modern-day fable but based on a true story. And... And I was curious to know what, what your reason for, sh- for writing it in that way was. A couple of reasons. Number one, I could, get, I could get really vulnerable with some of the things I went through without it being me as a memoir, right? And I could be more vulnerable. I could be more honest with the readers. I could be more honest with the world. And I could, I could take some of those stories, and even though they're not identical, they each story represents some truth behind it. And because of that, I could mold it into this story. So as I made the main character a female, it's the furthest thing from me, right? So it's kind of like the, the only people that understood my storylines weave through these characters, they were like, wow, I'm Todd, I remember when you went through that. But the people who don't know me, they just know that Kat Van Slyke is an entrepreneur that is a driven lady. Her father was in sports, a pitcher for the Blue Jays, became a manager and a general manager. <laughs> she has a son that wants to follow in her grandfather's footsteps. It's my story. But I just weave it in and out. And, and I play every character in the book, which is hilarious. Because each one of those characters in those scenes, they represent a piece of me of a story. And it's just, and, and I got to tell you, it was a blast. Um, it was difficult because like writing is not my mastery. Um, like <laughs> I don't, I wasn't born to write, um, but here we are, you know, and, and it's a way for me to share. Um, but I, I, also, I also wanted to make sure that somebody didn't read my book and say, yeah, easy for him to do, but not me. And here's why. Because I didn't want someone to say easy for him to do because look who his father is. His parents are great parents. 
He grew up in a in a great town. He he he, he roamed the grounds of Yankee Stadium. Like this kid, of course he can do. He he had he had the environment. He had the associations. He had the upbringing. And I, I, what I didn't want to happen was somebody that didn't have that upbringing, that just like you said, maybe had divorced parents. Maybe they grew up in a foster home. Maybe they grew up in an orphanage. I want those people. I want to speak to those people. I want them to understand that, yeah, it might be difficult. I understand. But it doesn't mean because of the way I grew up that I didn't go through hell and I didn't go through pain. And it can happen to us all. So I didn't want my book to be an excuse for someone to say, yeah, he could do it, but it doesn't fit where I'm at. (laughs) You know, so it was really important for me to do it in this fashion and in this form. And even the dog, the dog agrees with you, Todd. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know what? Um, Don't apologize. We love having dogs on the show. And this is the second dog to appear in a podcast in two episodes. (laughs) Uh, what, and, uh, I forget what, what breed it was, but, uh, the dog was barking in agreeance with the other guest and, uh, a guy called Keith Abraham, who you would absolutely love an Australian keynote speaker, a goal setting guru, just an amazing, uh, human being as well. Um, it makes a lot of sense now that you explain it that way. And I was genuinely curious cause I, uh, having read one of the guys that wrote, um, uh, uh, forward uh, for your book, Chris Widener, him and Jim Rohn did 12 Pillars and a bunch of other books, which are written uh, in a similar sort of fable, modern day fable. And it's a really entertaining way of telling a stro- story. And I totally empathize with uh, getting people to um, connect with the story without saying, yeah, easy for you to do. Um, wow. Having written my own book uh, during lockdown last year, I've, I've, it's written uh, about me and yeah. and the reason behind that was i'm i've developed this uh and this really great um tolerance to sharing all of my demons it's kind of like part of my therapy and sure. i can only assume that's kind of what you experienced a little bit in your book as absolutely, well yeah man. yeah absolutely brother so you know i would tell you that um you know when 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 you don't, when you don't come maybe from, I don't know how to say this, but maybe, maybe when you grow up and, and, and you come from less desirable environment, right? I'll say dysfunction, dysfunction, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, now here's the beauty of telling the story as is in your right person to do that story is because then someone that didn't grow up like that can say, man, if they can do it, where they came from, what they went through. And I didn't have to go through any of that stuff. There's no excuse for me. I can do it. And then that person also speaks to the person that's growing up, that's growing up today, just like maybe they grew up before. And it's like, man, that guy made it out. I can make it out. So it's so important. So it's really, you know, because, you know, the goal, as you say, you know, it's like when we write these books, when we do these you know, maybe we, we get a chance to go speak. We get on a podcast. It, it, it's like, for me, it, it is, man. It's, it's every time I get to share, I get to heal, <laughs> you know, and it's like, and, and as I'm healing and my hope is that 
as I'm healing and as I'm growing um, in this new life, um, that along the way, I might, I might touch just one person that, that maybe is sitting there staring at that bottle of pills and they're thinking about, um, it's my, it's their way out. Or maybe they, they test the metal (laughs) of the gun barrel and, 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 and maybe they think that's their way out. Um, or maybe they're thinking about, and they're staring, uh, and they're at the top of the building and they think that by jumping, that's their way out. My hope and prayer is that I can reach and find those broken that and let them know that there's a different way out, that there's another way out. And, and, uh, and when you overcome um, the top of that building, that gun barrel and that bottle of pills, when you overcome, then your life is going to become so valuable to others to serve. <laughs> and it becomes, you know, your ministry to help another people. You know, I, I, I think about this all the time. And I, and I, and I think, and I, and I, I'm like, I, and statistically, and I don't even know the accuracy of what I'm getting ready to say, but I, 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 but if it is accurate, supposedly the chances of us being born was like one in 400 million. Spot on. Now, if that's accurate, the day we were born, we damn near broke through a world of impossibility. So why stop at birth? Man, everything we deem as impossible can be possible. We just got to do just like at birth. Just keep breaking through those impossible worlds. And it's like, man, I, 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 I just know that. I just know, man, I, I believe that, you know, everything. Every, I just believe everything's possible, man. If you have enough meaning. And, you know, and, and you can stack enough meaning and, and, and you have enough discipline and you have enough grit and, and you're willing to just keep going and keep fighting the fight. Man, everything becomes possible. It's, I, I laugh at at every Olympics. New world records are broken. Everyone. I'm like, how is it that every Olympics, the whole world comes together and someone breaks a world record every time that someone called impossible. And then some, and then we get to see it on national, we get to see it on TV. And in some cases we get to see it live. We get to see impossible become possible, man. This should be our every day. It's like, this is every day, man. This is cool. This is cool. For me, this is like cool stuff. It's like, I love to, I tell my kids, and I, I say, look, there's nothing that you can't do. There's, there's no one you can't become. You can become right and and it's more about in our pursuits it's it's always more about our growth who we become what our message is what's our ministry who we serve and so i don't want to get too far down that road but man it's it's a cool thing todd have you had an opportunity to go back and apologize to any of your former teammates and uh your competitors that you got into scraps with during your playing days you know, what's funny is um, my teammates 
like we always had a love affair for the guys that I played with. I was just so grateful. And they, you know, they seen this guy that was so competitive that would, you know, and, and would stick up for any teammate in this now. Now, but there were some guys across the field uh, where some incidences happened um, where, and it was, you know, look, my fault or what have you, but I've run into a few over time. And it's funny that because they didn't know me as a person, they only knew me as a competitor. And as a competitor, that hate would show up every time, man. And I used it. So I used it, but it also used me when I took it too far. So I used the hate to create a competitive environment against someone else that I was competing against. The problem was when I went past and I took it too far and off the cliff into, you know, massive explosions. But yeah, I've run into a few guys before. And it's so funny that um, there's a guy by the name of Charlie Hayes and, and we had some scrap. He was with the Giants. Those were the Diamondbacks, man. We had some scraps and, and we had some, we exchanged some bad words, you know, to one another and through media and, and out on the field, the whole thing. And, and then I'll see him because he also played for the Yankees. So, you know, I, I, went, I went back, uh, you know, with my mom and my dad and, and go to some of those reunions with my mother and father. And and then I would see him there because he was a member of those Yankee teams. And it was like, hey, man, how are you? And it was kind of like it was it was it was almost like that respect. Like, I get it. You're you were you were a different person. You were a different animal on that baseball field. And and uh, and then they kind of get to know you and they're like, man. You know, and it's funny, too, is when teams, when guys get traded to your team, they'll be like, man, I hated you. And I was like, why? And they're like, man, you're like, you're an ass, dude. Like, like, I like we hated you. And he goes, I can't even believe to say this, but bro, I love you, man, today as your teammate. But uh, playing against you, I hated you. And that I was okay with that. Because, um, you know, it was almost like it gave me a little bit of an edge. So it's funny. I, I was in a place called Totranui, which is in the far north of the South Island of New Zealand in uh, 1992 when the Toronto Blue Jays won the World Series. And, and I don't remember a lot of my youth, Todd for a number of reasons, usually for related to coping mechanisms, <laughs> as it turns out. But I remember uh, one of the guys that I was camping with, um, who was an older boy, I was there with my mate at the time and his, his dad, and he was he a huge fan of the Toronto Blue Jays and he had the, the Toronto Blue Jays cap. And isn't it extraordinary that all these years later, you know, I'm, I'm face-to-face with the guy that was part of the winning team, you know, not on one but two occasions, and I – and I was punching into into a search engine before. What percentage of major league baseballers win a World Series? And I couldn't find the stat. And I was curious to know whether you know the answer to that, and what the percentage would be to win two. Yeah, I don't know, but I can't tell you how blessed I feel to play on great teams. How grateful I am. But you want to hear something funny is, and then I got a chance in 01 to be a part of the Diamondbacks World Championship run. And 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 what's funny is that um, um, what's he'll shut up in a minute. 
He disagrees with you. That's all. <laughs> he, he's a one-year-old golden retriever, and he normally is really quiet. But every time someone comes to the door, he goes crazy. And for some reason, on this podcast, someone keeps coming to the door. But um, in any case, so I, you know, to have three World Series rings and to be able to share in those teams is pretty crazy. Um, but what's really odd is my father has five World Championships. Wow. So as a family. We have eight world titles together. Now, I don't say that because I want you, anyone to be impressed by it. I would just tell you that um, we're, we're, so, we're so dang grateful and we feel so blessed that we got to be a part of, of a team that was declared a world champion. Man, it's, that's a special thing, man. And it's really cool. And it's like, and it's not an it's a team sport. So it's like, you know, it's it's not an individual. It's not an individual thing. Like, you know, some some sports are individual sports. And but and then what happens is that because of that, there becomes a brotherhood with these teammates forever. And it's so dang special. You know, when you do something that is so hard to do, or you overcome something and you do it with someone else, man, you become connected for life. So man, it's, it's been a, it's been an unbelievable run. It's been a blessing. Um, I don't take it for granted. Um, I'm humbled by it. I'm just, um, it was a cool part of my life, man. What's next for Todd Sotomayor? You know, I, every day for me is like, I got to find a way to get better. Right. <clears throat> you know, one of the questions I ask myself at the end of every day is I say, is this the best I can do? Um, I'll reflect today on our podcast and I say, and I'll just think back to it. And I was like, man, you know, is that the best I can do? Um, And the beauty of when you ask yourself, is this the best I can do? It's not to be critical. That's not the goal. That's it's not to be critical. But when you ask the question, is this the best I can do there? You'll, you at when you ask yourself a great question, you get yourself a great answer, and it gives me something to work on to tomorrow. Um, you know, I think one of the things I want to I want to share with the audience, you know, before we get to a close too, is one of the things I, I, I you know, we look. I've been overpaid. I, I was overpaid in athletics, and 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 but I want what I want people to understand is that I was overpaid, but I never chased money once. See, I always tell people today when they when they think about wealth, that build your wealth starting with your family. See, because if you don't have a wealthy family, and I'm talking about love, relationship, then you can have all the money in the world and you're still broke, right? And, and I always tell people that, like what entrepreneurs, business people, and this and that, I say, hey, listen, and, and I hear people sometimes, that, and I'll say, well, why do you want to do that? Well, I want to make millions. I'm like, man, you got it wrong. I said, you'll make millions because what you're trying to accomplish, you'll make millions when you pursue being best in the world at what you do. The money will knock down your door. You won't have to look for it. So I'm a big believer today, and you ask me what's next, it's like, I believe in fulfillment. I believe in that there's more than one wealth. I believe there's spiritual wealth, relationship wealth, personal development wealth, life and uh, health and fitness wealth. Uh, I believe that there's, you know, family uh, uh, wealth. And, and, and of course, money is one of them. But it's only 
one of my eight. And, and, um, you know, and I just try to keep the right things, the right things, but you know, every day is a, an opportunity to get better. Well, the great Canadian professor, Jordan Peterson says to not compare yourself to anyone else apart from the person you were the day before and, uh, doing some digging. It looks like your wife follows Jordan, um, and I was curious to know whether you ever had any contact with him or you, if you know much of Jordan's work. No, you know what? I don't, but I'm, I'll definitely look into it because I love that. It's like, you know, it's, a, it's about being our true authentic self. And I always tell people, st- stop competing against everyone else. You know, the competition is staring you back in the mirrors. How good can you get? Stop comparing. Stop competing. Stop trying to, you know, keep up. It's like, man, <laughs> the, the, the excitement is in is in the journey of authenticity of our of each 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 person's life and that journey and and being authentic with yourself and and creating clarity and awareness around that authenticity is so cool i told my son just a couple of nights ago he's you know he's 15 and he loves baseball and i said son you know it's like man I, i'm already you don't want to be like me because i'm already retired and washed up I said, son, you need to be you and like you and the best version of you. And don't ever worry about me, man. I'm just going to be so damn proud of you. And my father used to tell us all the time, I don't care what you do. Just pursue being the best you can at whatever you choose to do. That's the journey, man. Uh, I love that. I love that, Todd. And uh, one of the things that I I was curious to explore um, before we wrap this up, um, you know, having a good look at, at some of the people that you're interested in, uh, looks like you might, you've either got an interest in running some marathon or some ultra marathon distances, or you've started dabbling. What's going on there? Yeah, you know, funny you say that. Um, <laughs> so you nailed it. Um, you know, it was funny, it was when I retired from baseball and I had a, a beat up hip and and everything, but I was like going to challenge myself to compete against and compete again. And, and I was like, man, I'm going to do an Ironman. And I actually started kind of training, running, biking, swimming. And, and my right hip got so bad. I ended up having to, they had to do some surgery on it and, and they had to put a metal plate in there on the femur. And, and I had all kinds of bone spurs from all the grinding playing major league baseball. And I said, well, man, there goes that. And last year, um, I was like, it just kind of, um, I, I read a book, um, rich roll. roll. What is it? Rich roll. The ultra yeah. marathon guy. That guy, I read his book, his book inspired me like crazy. And I was like, man, what's this thing? I was like the iron man. I said, what's this thing called the Ultraman?" Right. And I was, I told my wife, I said, hon, I'm going to do the Ultraman." And she's like, what's that? I said, it's like, it's like the Iron Man on steroids. It's like, it's so much bigger and so much more. And she goes, don't you think you ought to start with the Iron Man? <laughs> and, and so, but anyways, so I, I started to, I started to be like, man, it would be so cool to start and finish an Iron Man. I'm 55. I've had nine different surgeries and just to take, myself mentally and physically through something else to overcome to just you know it'd be another new experience and 
and I started looking into it. And then because of COVID, all the all the Ironmans were were getting canceled. And and I was like, oh, I wonder if that's a message. And I was like, no, no, that's not a message. And then on another podcast, I did it with Dr. Greg Wells, and he's an Ironman guy and out of Toronto. And he sent me a message the other day. He goes, hey, man, uh, let's do uh, uh, an Ironman in 2022 in Canada. And of course, what did I say? I said, I'm in. I'm like, I'm in. And and, and I started laughing to myself. And I'm like, the more I say it, then the more I'm going to have to do it and and this and that. But uh, I, I... I've never, I've never competed in any kind of endurance stuff, but so I started pulling up and following Ironman and triathlon. I wanted to, cause I'm like, I don't even know how to train and, and I don't even know what was the first step and what's it look like. So I've had people actually, it's funny. I've had people sending me different training regimens and stuff like that, but man, I'm going to try it, but uh, I'm not going to do it in Australia because I'm afraid of the sharks, brother. <laughs> The chance of you being eaten by a shark is uh, about the chance of you winning two or three World Series, <clears throat> um, probably about the same odds. Uh, I today's your lucky day, Todd. I, I recently interviewed a guy, Andre Abradovich, Abradovich, who is a an Ironman coach and an Ironman competitor. He's fifty seven. He's seven percent body fat. He's got the best legs on any human being I've ever seen. And he um, he's based here in, in Australia, but he coaches people all around the world. And uh, I think, given given your background as well, uh, there's a lot of similarities. I'd be happy to put you guys in, in touch. But connect me for sure. Yeah, he, he's a machine, right? And uh, he, he he's been recognised as one of the top um, uh, coaches on the planet. He does a lot of work with Mark Sisson. Um, the Noakes Foundation, Professor Tim Noakes, who was a guest on the podcast, who wrote the book The Law of Running, which is about ultra running. Um, I'm not sure whether you're aware. I'm a bit of an ultra runner myself. And uh, there's a couple of books that I'd encourage you to read. If you haven't read Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins already, listen Got to it. Audible. That This is for everyone listening as well, by the way. And then Born to Run um, by, uh, is it Dean Carnassus? So uh, born to run born to run i have both those books and i have listened to goggins on audible it's the coolest way to do a audible on a book where he comes in after the chapters and talk that was the, like i was like wow that's the coolest thing ever and born to run my wife actually got that book for me and so i that's that's on my reading list for for this year it's unbelievable you well, said those because it looks like jesse itzler is a friend of yours a friend of your family do you know jesse so i don't know him personally um I, actually my wife has done his big ass calendar club and she's a she's been a part of that and and she matter of fact she reached out to jesse and said hey um listen my my husband is a rock star like you, you know? And she was like, I'm going to send you his new book. And he was like, great, man, send them, send me the book. And, you know, maybe we'll have him as a guest. So it'd be cool to, 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 to get to know Jesse. Cause Jesse's a cool guy, man. He's so humble and he's created some, you know, as far as achievement, right. He's, he's created very high levels of success, but he's so real, man. And I love to see him like, and all these new experiences. And he's really inspired me and my wife because of all of his different experiences and different things he's doing and trying things for the first time. So we're like, man, it's like, that's life. Life is supposed to be made up of a whole bunch of experiences. So like now it's like every month, what are we doing different? 
And, and what's funny is we're going to go trail ride on electric bikes through the mountains up in, up in a place called Castle Rock up here this weekend in, in Arizona. And I'm like, we've never done it. And it's like, well, we'll throw the helmets on and the pads and just go roll this thing. But new experiences, man, new challenges. And that's pretty exciting. Well, uh, Jesse paid David Goggins to come and live with him for a month. And uh, I, he wrote a book about it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, if you're in, are you are you in Phoenix? I'm in Phoenix, yes, sir. There's, have you heard of an ultramarathon runner called Zach Bitter? I have not. Okay, have so not. he he's someone that you could hire to coach. Uh, he's a the world record holder for the world's fastest hundred mile, averaging. Uh, I'm not sure what it is in miles, but it's like four minute something kilometer pace, which I think is like six minute fifty miles for a hundred miles. And he, like me, is a fat adapted athlete. And follows, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't take on much carbohydrate at all. And in fact, last in December of 2020, I ran a hundred kilometer ultra, uh, which I finished in about 20 hours and 13 minutes. But I did the first 91 kilometers on less than 200 grams of carbohydrate. So that's another uh, option that you can explore as well. Um, really low impact on the body from being able to reduce the inflammatory response from carbohydrate and sugar. Uh, which allows you just to run uh, longer and recover faster. It's pretty amazing. Todd, where can we find you? Toddofficial.com. Toddofficial.com. Yeah. It's, a, it's an amazing oh. website. Uh, so you know what's funny is about that is, and, and I, always, I always explain it. I don't know why. Maybe it's my insecurity about being called Todd Official, right? But it's like, um, it, it started out toddstottlemeyer.com and no one could spell the last name Stottlemeyer. So I said to my wife, I said, we've got to come up with something. She goes, just make it toddofficial.com. I was like, wow, that was simple. <laughs> <laughs> I go, people can figure that one out. So yeah. And, and, and then on, you know, on social media, if you go to, if you go to the website, you can connect with me on, from the website into all those social medias and, and everything like that. So um, that'd be great. Yeah, brilliant. And and uh your book your book is wonderful. Congratulations. I know you got Robin Sharma and Robert Kiyosaki amongst other you know, Chris Widener to write amazing testimonials on your book. Robin wrote the foreword for the book. How like how'd you manage that? Yeah, so funny story about Robin is is I, I read Robin's The Monk Who Sold the Ferrari. I re- I read that book years and years ago. And then I was like, man, uh, and I was like, this is so cool. And, and I was like, and then I started just pulling him up. I said, has he written any other books? And so I started following him and then I'm like, wow, he's based in Toronto. And, and I was like, and I just took a chance, man. And one day I emailed him and I was like, and, and it was uncomfortable because I was like, Hey, Robin, uh, Hey man, this is Todd Stottlemyre and I see you live in Toronto and I actually pitched for the Blue Jays and I was just trying to get his attention and, and, and he right away responded. And I thought, nah, that's gotta be one of those auto responders. Right. And he says, Hey Todd, you know, great to hear from you or something like that or whatever. And I'm like, ah, it's gotta be an auto responder. And then I started thinking, well, maybe it's not. And I was like, Hey, uh, just want to let you know, I've you know been reading your books and this and that. And he goes, and he sends him a message back and he says, Hey man, let's take a walk. And I'm like, 
Well, that'd be a tough walk because I actually don't live in Canada anymore in Toronto. I said, I'm in, I'm in Scottsdale. And he goes, Scottsdale? He said, or in Phoenix. And I said, yeah. And he goes, you ever been to Tarbell's? He goes, and he goes, it's my favorite restaurant. I go, wow, that's one of my favorite restaurants here. And, 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 uh, and I just kind of wanted to tell him, thank you. Um, because his books had inspired me and he, and he gave me some things to think about and, and, in my growth and, and pursuing and trying to get better. And, and then he invited me, um, out to his personal mastery Academy and brought me up on stage and interviewed me and, and we've become like friends. Now it's the coolest thing in the world is because I can text him and literally he can be anywhere in the world and he'll get back to me. And it's just been, he's just been a, you know, he's been a gift and he's been incredible, uh, uh, an incredible mentor for me in my life. And, and he's, he's acknowledged both my books and, and uh, we, I put him, you know, his testimony is on the cover of both, of both the books I've written. And we, we've become close friends. And, and now his son had just written a book and he reached out to me. So I'm getting ready to dive into his son's book and read his son's book. So it's, it's a small world, man. And it's like, you know, really cool stuff. Well, that's that's a way way better story than what I expected, and it was already, already a pretty damn cool story. Well, I, I don't know about you, Todd. I think this might be a good place to wrap this up. This has been this has been nothing short of inspirational. But is there anything that you want to leave our audience on? I would just say that you know, first the first thing that comes to my heart and comes to my mind is is we can't forget the golden rule and. Uh, you know, the golden rule is, is that treat others how you want to be treated. And that doesn't mean you're going to agree with everyone. Things aren't going to always go your way. Um, but if we can, you know, just the spirit of, of, of a human being, if we can, you know, just get back to really understanding the golden rule and just simply treat others the way you want to be treated. And, uh, you know, and, I, and then the, the next thing I would say is, is that, you know, no matter where you're at, no matter where you're at and and in the ladder of success and or in the mountain of success. And maybe you feel like today, man, you're you're laying on your back and you're in the valley. And I just want you to know that that you can do it. And, um, you know, it's going to take courage and and it's going to take you getting up back up on your feet and taking a step forward. But, you know, it's possible. And um that there's a way out and there's a better way. And, and, um, I, I, I want, I want to encourage you to be able to do that today. So, and I would say God bless to everyone and, and, and to you, sir, this connection, man, I feel it. I feel like it's, I feel like you, sometimes you, you meet someone and you, and you, and you break into a conversation. And you're like, man, we're going to be friends forever. And that's kind of how I felt with Robin Sharma. And that's kind of, I have that same feeling today. So I, I can't wait, man, to get to Australia someday and meet you in person. Well, Todd, it means a huge amount, mate. I, and I, I just can't, uh, I can't applaud you enough for the work that you're doing and, and for people listening, two books that you've got to get down you. The, the recent one, The Observer and Relentless Success by the wonderful Todd Stottlemyre. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, 
I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.